Well, last Sunday, uh, during our 9.30 Bible study, some of you might remember Seth, who's not here, uh, he brought up 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, and, and rightly so, because you know he's been talking about the authority of Scripture. Uh, at that point, Donna looked at me and she said, um, hey, this is one of our Awana verses. Donna grew up in Awanas, and she taught Awanas for many, many years. And then, of course, I mentioned the fact that the Awana verse is in the previous uh, uh, chapter, chapter 2, verse 15. And I know in my life, I've always loved uh, a teaching on things like this because so much can be said. Listen to what it says uh, in, uh, in chapter 2, verse 15. It says, do your best to present yourself to God as one who is approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. Now, as you know, Paul wrote this to Timothy as he was still in Ephesus trying to straighten out the church as they were infected with false teachers. Therefore, it's important we understand the response that I just read there in verse 15 was actually because uh, of what was taking place or what was stated in verse 14, and they were those who were perverting the truth there and with their useless arguing. And so for Timothy, he was kind of an overseer there uh, in the church, and Paul says basically, look, you have two options Okay? You have two options here. You can stand for, uh, for God as one who is approved, or you can be one who stands before God as one who is ashamed. Not too many options there. Well, Paul, of course, gives him directions on how to become the former, the one who, of course, stands approved. How does he do that? He says what? He says, well, do your best, Right? to correctly handle the word of truth. Timothy, and of course anybody else who shares the truths of the word of God, would never want to stand before God as someone who was errant in Scripture, someone who distorted the truth or, or gave misinformation that would lead somebody else astray. Matter of fact, this is why in James chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers. And why does he say that? He says, Because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That, of course, is yet another reason that Timothy needs to do his best, right? Do his best to correctly handle or to rightly divide the word of truth because. God's word deserves nothing less. This is the inerrant, this is the infallible, authoritative, all-sufficient word of the living God, and, and we need to take that seriously. Now, in saying all of that, this is uh, where I want to deviate from our study in the book of Romans. As you know, we're in chapter 5 right now in our study through Romans. You can blame that on Seth because he's the one who brought this up last week. Uh, Seth is not here to blame. Maybe that's why he got sick. I, he, got, he knew what was going to happen. So we're going to blame that on Seth since he is here. That's why I'm uh, stepping out of Romans this morning. Um, but folks, we live in a time when correctly handling the word of truth is rare at best. Even this morning, I just met Dave when he said, there's so little people who teach the word of God expositionally. 
verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, who, who teach it within its historical context, who understand the history or in our situation, the Greek and whatnot, and teach it that way. It's sad. Teachers are out there taking the name of Christ. They're, they're claiming the Christian faith. They take scripture and they do with it as they please. They typically do that to, of course, promote their own agenda. And it's gotten so bad that even essential Christian doctrine is not safe anymore. Let me say that again. Essential. <laughs> There's a reason we call it essential versus non-essential, right? Essentials versus non-essentials. Non-essentials we can debate. We shouldn't divide, but we can debate those issues, right? There's no debate when it comes to the essentials of the Christian faith. You see, it, should, it used to be things like, sure, we can agree to disagree on secondary issues. But now people seem to think they can completely dismantle the very foundation of which the church stands. They can literally just redefine it, yet, yet somehow they can still follow or profess to follow the Christian faith. One of the people that comes to my mind is Joyce Meyer. Ooh. One of the essentials of the Christian faith is the atonement on the cross. Christ atoned for our sins on the cross, right? He satisfied the righteous demands of God when he died for man's sins, right? And when he was on the cross, he said three words in English, one in the Greek, tetelestai. We all know what it says, right? It is finished. That literally means the debt has been paid in full. God was propitiated. He accepted what Jesus did for our sins, those who would put their faith in him. But yet, Joyce Meyer, I'm just using one person. I could do, I, we can bring up many. She's written in her books. She's spoken about it. But she says, oh, no, 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 it's not finished. She says Jesus had to, to go to hell, be tortured by demons, and then, because he took the sin of the world upon himself, he's therefore a sinner, and he needed to be the first born-again man. If you wonder where you find that in Scripture, you don't. We call that heresy, if not blasphemy, really. But folks, that's someone who's out there, been in ministry, quote, for 40 years, and this is what you get. Well, to show you how important it is that we oppose things like this, I want you to turn this morning to Galatians chapter 1. The Galatians chapter 1, and I want to look at verses 6 through 9. Now, I have, I have brought up these passages before when I have been teaching others other things, and I've gone back to here, but I want to look at them this morning. Here you will see the Apostle Paul taking a stand on the truth of the gospel, okay, and how he feels about those who simply want to toss it aside. Now, I do realize that this is uh, a first century letter, but folks, this is exactly what happens today when we don't correctly handle the word of truth. Now, as we shift over to this text this morning, 
Most importantly, I want you to see the response that Scripture demands. Okay, The response that the Apostle Paul gives to this stuff was not an option. It's, it's not a reaction that says, well, you know, I, I, I really just want to get along with everybody, and so it's okay to fudge on the truth a little bit. <laughs> you, you don't hear that from Paul. I want you to know how to stand when the true message is actually turned into everything from, from universalism, which is to say that everybody's going to be saved, to, well, it really doesn't matter. As long as you're a nice guy, it's all good. Now, in the first century, we saw it with Timothy in Ephesus. I brought that up. And we're going to see it here in Galatia as well. The church is being challenged with the very same threat that you and I see today. False teachers by the dozens dishing out a convoluted understanding of the gospel to the, the easy-to-fool first-century church, right? which, by the way, is no different from the extremely easy-to-fool 21st-century church. Okay, Both of them just seem to eat this stuff up. In Galatia, there was a group of false teachers. We're not going to get into all the in-depth about them, but many of you know them. They're called the Judaizers, right? They were the false teachers who were there in Galatia. They were telling the Galatian churches that they must obey the law of Moses in order to be saved, okay? Well, Paul, as you know Paul, Paul could not just sit back with these and, and, and let these people twist the message of the gospel. And so he simply wrote this and said, absolutely not, no, salvation is unearned, salvation is undeserved. Salvation, as you've heard me say many times, is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Right? He says there is no compromise. And so with that, read with me verses 6 through 9, Galatians chapter 1. Paul says, I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. If that wasn't good enough, he says it again in verse 9. As we have already said, and I will say it again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Did you notice when I read that, that there's not a whole lot of, you know, 21st century open-mindedness going on there, right? Big difference between how things are handled in the first century and how they're handled today. Now, folks, this is an area in, in, in Paul's letters where we would usually see Paul give a, a point of praise to the church, right? He'll usually give an introduction, right? Hey, this is Paul, grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ, the apostle, blah, blah, blah. Hey, I thank the Lord for you guys. You guys are awesome. Praise God for your salvation, and so on and so forth. You don't see that in this epistle, okay? It is non-existent. 
He goes from, hey, how you doing? Boom. Right into verse 6. You see, folks, being, being, being gracious and being respectful of somebody's, somebody else's beliefs, you know, that's one thing. But changing the true message of Jesus Christ is another, and it should not be tolerated under any circumstances. Notice how he begins in verse 6. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you. Stop right there. So he, he, he starts by saying, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm astonished. Or you could say, I, I, I'm amazed. I am shocked, he says, that it, has, it hasn't been that long that you have accepted the truth that I have given you in Christ. And, and he says, it's, it, it's like now you seem to be turning to the first false teacher that comes along. I'm just, I'm astonished. What the heck happened in the meantime, right? It's almost as if you, you guys put up no resistance at all. It's okay. Oh, yeah, Paul, great. Amen, brother. Somebody else comes along. Oh, yeah, amen to you too. He says, you're not getting this. It's like Paul is saying, guys, I, I, I was just with you. We were just discussing these things. We were just discussing the truths of the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. What happened? Well, look back at the verse, and this is very important. Notice the way Paul phrases the first part of the verse. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting you are deserting the one who called you. The word deserting, it, it, it means to change, almost as if you're changing sides. You just walked away. You're going to the other side. Okay? Now, folks, even though there were huge, huge doctrinal differences between his message and the message of the false teachers, you notice he doesn't bring that up. It's almost as if Paul says, you know what, I'm not playing that game. I'm not going to go tit for tat and go, and go back and forth here. Right off the bat, Paul just says, look it, here's the bottom line, right? Hey, remember once again, hey, how you doing? It's me, the Apostle Paul, blah, blah, blah. And then he says, you're turning to a different God. You're turning from God. Unlike the church today, which seems, sadly, to, to compromise essential truth, at every turn, when some popular person out there writes a book or gives a message, Paul's not trying to find a middle ground. Did you notice that? Well, let's, let's sit down. Let's have a cup of tea. Let's, let's figure out what we can do. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't even start with that, right? He doesn't do that just to somehow keep the unity. He's saying that they're not just disagreeing on doctrine, they're turning against God. He makes it so there aren't any of these lames excuses as we see today. Well, that's just your interpretation, right? How many times have we heard that, all right? What this is saying, folks, is that God does not offer a bunch of different options when it comes to the gospel. Do you understand that? There are not a bunch of different options out there, okay? As far as the plan of salvation goes, you either believe this, Paul says, right? You believe what I've told you. You believe what we discussed or you're turning from God. You're deserting, to use his word, you're deserting the very one who called you. Very blunt, 
very straightforward, but it needs to be said. Now, what makes this more difficult for Christians today is not only do we have the world telling us that, well, what we believe really doesn't matter, right? Or the latest and greatest, well, you know, all religions lead to the same God, right? Right? But we also have these so-called Christian churches, heavy on the word so-called, we have these so-called Christian churches today who are saying, well, you know, Darren, these, these, a lot of these certain doctrines really aren't that important as the church has made them out to be. You know, it's kind of stuff that got started early on, yeah, a couple thousand years ago. It's, it's, it's really not that important today. Liberal denominations, I'm not going to name them, but I'm sure you know some of them. Liberal denominations are compromising truth. Listen, not just for the sake of unity inside their church. Okay? They're compromising truth, not just to, to be unified with those in the church, but even so they're unified with those outside the church. Those are, those are what we call pagans, non believers. And they're trying to convince the rest of us that we put too much stock in what we call essential Christian doctrine. I mean, the virgin birth, maybe it's not really that important, is it? Jesus' resurrection, come on, we're just splitting hairs here. Hopefully you're chuckling at that. That's not really true. The Bible is clear, folks. To, to start adding and taking away doctrines is to manufacture or it is to conjure up your own belief system. Okay? People do that all the time. You've heard me say that before. You created this own God in your mind, right? Well, that's not the God that I worship. It's because you created your God in your own mind. Funny how your God believes just like you do. Isn't that amazing? But that's all you're doing. You're making up your own belief system. Paul says here in verse 6, they're turning to a different gospel. And we'll get into that in just a minute. But let's just stop right here and remind everybody of something. Yes, the people in this text have probably only been Christians a short time. Okay, I want to be honest, okay? They weren't necessarily scholars but keep in mind, if you are not in concert with God and his word, I don't care if you've been a believer for 20 years. You too can easily be duped, suckered. It's all based on how grounded you are in the word of God. Which is why we need so many churches now more than ever who teach scripture. So many Christians think they're beyond that. That would never happen to me, really. How many churches can we find in this area, the Bible Belt, that you would just be shocked? How many of those people in that church maybe even work or go to, say, Liberty University, for example, and you're going, are you you're serious? You, you believe this nonsense? They think they're beyond that. It's so vital, folks, that that we all understand it's not good enough to just know what we believe, but why we believe it. Listen, that's not a cliche. That is not a cliche. We need to know what we believe. We need to know why we believe it. And I would go a step further, and I would say we need to be able to defend it. 
Okay? You don't have to be a scholar or a theologian to do that, but you need to be able to defend it, especially in the world we live in today. As I said before, we need to be so familiar with truth. We have to familiarize ourselves with truth that when any false teacher comes along, you're going to know it immediately. Now, you might not know the correct answer, but you should, when you hear a false, you should be going, Some, <laughs> that's not right. That's not right. You should know that, see. When someone walks up to you and feeds you a line like these Judaizers have done here in our text this morning to these Galatians, you should know that, okay? When some knucklehead from your local liberal church tells you that the deity of Jesus Christ really doesn't matter, that, that you know, hell is it's symbolic, right? Or that, this is a new one, by the way, I saw this not too long ago, if you give to my ministry, the rapture will come quicker now, that's a slick one right there. Yes, that's true. I saw that with my own eyes. If you hear these kinds of things, folks, you're going to be ready for such nonsense. You're not going to be writing your check. Go back to the text. The disagreement that Paul had with these Galatians was not a simple issue that you can agree to disagree with. And Lord knows, we, we could use some things like that today. There's a lot of division going on in the church. And there are some things we should debate, but we should not divide. Okay? That is true. Now, we know this for a fact because Paul ties all of this together when he says at the end of verse 6, what does he say? You are turning to a different gospel. Okay? In other words, this is not something that you can say, hey, you know what, we can agree to disagree. I don't want to argue about it. Baloney. You're turning to a different gospel, one that is completely ineffective when it comes to being right with God. You've heard me say this many times. I don't care you say I believe in Jesus, but you believe in a Jesus who can't save you. I don't care how much faith you have. See, these things are important. Well, I've been a Jehovah's Witness all my life. I've been a Mormon my whole life. But you don't believe in a Jesus who can save you. You believe in somebody who's man-made, right? He's Michael the archangel, or he's the spirit brother of Lucifer. He's not God in human flesh. Well, who is that? I can find some dude named Jesus in Mexico to match that, right? But you're worshiping someone who cannot make you right with God, Okay? You're turning to a different gospel. And look at what he says. He begins verse 7 by saying, it's really no gospel at all. I'm sure many of you know that the word gospel simply means, it's very simple essence, just means good news, right? Context, as you know, will always determine the meaning of any word. Okay? So it's the good news of what? What's the good news? Depends on the context. Obviously here, the gospel is the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? But here he says what the Judaizers were was teaching was no gospel at all. You might just simply say there's no good news in their message. What's the good news in their message? What's good news about being under the bondage of the law? Right? And worse than that, it won't save you. Look at the rest of verse 7. He says evidently, 
and this is the Judaizers, there's some people out there who are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So number one, Paul says, it's a different gospel. Number two, it's not really a gospel at all. Why does he say that? Because he tells us there in verse 7 that what they're doing is they're perverting the real gospel of Christ. Okay? They're taking what Jesus did and they are adding to that. It's, it's Jesus plus something. And of course, here in our text, it's Jesus plus the law. Okay? They're taking what is real, what is true, and they're making changes to it, okay? And, this is important because this is what we see today, and they're acting like it's no big deal. It is a big deal. It's a very big deal. See? Now, please listen when I tell you this. This is exactly what false teachers are doing every single day in our country, it's really sad to me that you can't go in. I don't think, well, I guess we do have one Christian bookstore in here now next to Mardell's, I think. You can't go in there without just this litany of garbage because you're trying to make a buck, right? You're not going to stand for truth. You don't have to stand for a denomination, but you, you can stand for truth and not just sell the junk. But it's happening everywhere. There's false teachers everywhere. Whether it be the plain and simple gospel, which is what's happening here, or it's something else, right? Jesus had to go to hell and be born again. As you guys know, I've told you this a hundred times. I'm going to tell you 101. They will always give you just enough of the truth. And then they'll stuff the rest of it with a big lie. They'll tell you a couple things that you know, so you agree on. False teacher is always going to bring up something. Well, you know, John 3.16 says. Well, you know, Ephesians 2.8 and 9 says. And you're going, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right, brother. Right? And then they'll start adding and taking away. They get away with this, folks, because they know that you're going to hold on to those couple of things that you agree with them, right? Yeah, but Darren, he, he, he mentioned John 3.16. He mentioned Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, right? It's by grace you're saved through faith. But then it keeps going on. At the meantime, they completely will distort the gospel of Jesus Christ, the person and the work of Christ, and they will twist the very word of God to fit their own agenda. And if you don't know what the agenda of somebody is who says, if you give to me and the rapture will happen sooner, see me after church. They don't come out and tell you, hi, I'm a false teacher. I think some people think that's not going to happen. There's a false teacher tonight speaking at the Salem Civic Center. No, it doesn't happen that way, does it? But this is, why, this is why the Galatian church and churches today fall right into their lies, even if it's something as simple as the gospel message. I don't usually tell stories too much, but I remember back in, um, in 2011, uh, Nick and myself, you guys know Nick? Uh, Nick is now a missionary in Mexico. He used to be the worship leader many years ago. 
Nick and I wanted to gain as much information as we could about a man named Rob Bell. Anybody know or remember the guy named Rob Bell? One of you. Way to go. <sighs> for shame. Good, good for you there. Rob, Rob Bell years ago wrote a book called Love Wins. Okay? It's subtitled a book about heaven, hell, and the fate of every person who ever lived. He had a very, very large church called Mars Hill. There were two churches called Mars Hill. Very large church, like 10,000 people attended this church. So we wanted to gain everything we could about this, this, this guy. We watched an hour-long Q&A with him, okay? We also, uh, he talked about his book. We also watched the interview that uh, famed liberal George Stephanopoulos interviewed him. We also watched the interview by Martin Bashir. You might have heard of him as well. And then we went ahead, because they had a book review at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary at the then president, uh, Dr. Al Mohler, was doing uh, over the book. And then after listening to everything that came out of this guy's mouth, Rob Bell, an outright and total distortion of the word of God, it was just mind-boggling to me and Nick. But thousands of young people, mostly young people, thousands of young people started to follow this guy. Thousands of young people started listening to his messages and reading his books. Like he, he wrote The Velvet Elvis, if you remember that book called The Velvet Elvis. All while everything he said fed, feeds into his belief as universalism. Hence the term, love wins in the end. That's kind of the whole concept of the book. Love will win. It's, it, folks, there, there were people in this church who were going to liberty at the time who would come to me and want to debate me on <laughs> why I was so tough on Rob Bell. Because he thinks every human being walking the planet is, is going to be saved. That's why. So many people at good old liberty down the road, and there's some good folks at liberty, we're believing this and eating it up. And I'm just sitting here going, are you kidding? You've been in the church for how many years? And you're eating this up? You can't tell the difference of what this man's saying? But it goes to show you that Rob Bell, like many others, can give you just enough orthodoxy to set you up so you will believe the heresy that is soon to follow. There's a, there's a reason. There's how they can draw you in. See? Well, just like Paul says, or just like uh, today, Paul says in verse 7, because all this is happening to these churches, they've been thrown into confusion. Now, folks, this goes back to knowing the truth. If you know the truth, as we know God's word is truth, right? John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. If you know the truth, you're not going to be suckered. You're not going to be duped. Somebody who's super popular and writes a book and sells millions to, quote, Christians, you're going to go, wait a second. That's, that, that's nonsense. Because you've ingrained yourself in the word of God, not in a denomination, not in a person, but the Word of God. It's why we teach what, how, how we do at this church. That's why we do a Sunday school. Dave's going through Daniel. Right? Ladies just finished the Gospel of Mark. We go through the Word of God. You know, you know there's only one uh, uh, 
offensive weapon, right? When it comes to the armor of God, what is it? The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's not just the word of God plus something else. We don't need anything else. That's, why this, that's, that's all he gives you. You don't need a list of other things. You need the word of God. And therefore, you will not be thrown into confusion. If we hear somebody speaking who's got a Bible, my, my mother, God bless her, you know, she'd see somebody on TV holding a Bible in their hand. Because I'd always confront my mother. Well, Darren, they're holding a Bible in their hand. Oh, what? <laughs> that's all it is. But if we hear somebody who's, who's on TV, somehow they're quoting scripture, they got a Bible in their hand, is an absolute you know, dynamic speaker, extremely, comes across as extremely intelligent. They're using big words, right? Do we automatically just assume this guy is speaking the truth? Let me help you with the answer. The answer is, no, we shouldn't, but the problem is, yes, we do. That's the problem. Oh, this guy's holding a Bible. Listen to, what an orator this man is, right? Listen to the words he uses, like this this morning, complementarianism, right? Many people say, yes, that's true. And folks, if it wasn't true, we wouldn't have all the phony teachers today. Period. Now, as we go into verses 8 and 9, Paul flat out says, listen, church. He says, I'm, I'm not messing around here. This is not a joke. It's all, I, I almost wanted, wanted to hear him say, look, did you notice? I didn't thank the Lord for you. <laughs> did you notice? I didn't say I'm praying for you. I just went straight into what the heck are you doing? He's saying this is serious stuff. Verse 8, he says, Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let that person be eternally condemned. And he says the same thing in verse 9. Now, after you read that, do you think Paul had a little frustration in what these Judaizers were trying to do? This shows, folks, Paul's true concern for the purity of the Word of God and the unchanging gospel message. Listen to me. The unchanging gospel message. If somebody gives you the gospel and it's something you've never heard before, bells should start going off. There's nothing, read, there's nothing in between the lines, Right? The same concern that we should have, folks, when we hear sermons or we, we, we read a book where somebody just dismantles biblical truth but carries the title Christian or author or whatever. The simple reason is that anything other than the pure, unadulterated gospel of Christ, listen to me, it attacks the cross just like what the Judaizers are doing in this text. They're adding the law to grace, which makes no sense, like oil and water. You cannot change the person of Christ. You cannot change the account without affecting the outcome of the cross. There's always a lot of connections. It's like before I, I threw the one in there that says, well, is the virgin birth really that important? Well, yeah. 
There's a reason why he's God in human flesh, and part of that's because of the virgin birth. He didn't go up to Joseph and Mary and say, hey, you guys are going to have a baby and thank me later, but he's going to be the Messiah. Great! Didn't happen that way. Couldn't happen that way. See, we can get on to that because Jesus was sinless. He's the Son of God. But these things matter. It changes. It affects the cross. Later here in the next chapter, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, he says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, right? Because remember, that's what the Judaizers were teaching. If righteousness could be gained through the law, he says, then Christ died for what? Nothing. Nothing. Think about that for a second. Then Christ died for nothing. Think about that for a second, folks. If righteousness could be gained through anything, he says, the cross would be a farce. The cross would, would literally mean nothing. Nothing. Notice in verse 8, to emphasize the fact that the true gospel of the grace of God cannot be changed regardless of who the preacher is. Regardless of how impressive the messenger may be, notice that Paul used a hypothetical here. He says, even if we, meaning a gospel, uh, 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 an apostle and his companions, right? Even if uh, an apostle and his companions or an angel, a heavenly messenger, he go, he's like, I'm going way up here. Even if we were to alter the gospel message, let that person be eternally condemned. Oh, yeah, but Darren, man, you've never heard some of these speakers today. Dude, they're tight. They're, they're really good. There's no way they can be false. Folks, Paul was making the extreme point that nobody, absolutely no messenger, no matter how seemingly godly person this may be, should be believed, right, or followed if his teaching does not square with God-revealed apostolic doctrine. I mean, Paul, he just simply says, if this guy teaches anything outside of what I have told you, I don't care who he claims, he can call himself an angel of heaven, like, or like today, the apostle so-and-so, the prophet so-and-so, and whatever God told me. Let them be eternally condemned. The truth this is very important, folks, because we're getting ready to close. The truth outranks someone's credentials. Do you get that? The truth, it's a synonym for the Word of God. The truth outranks someone's credentials. The truth outweighs somebody's speaking abilities. Every teacher must be evaluated on the basis of what he says, not who he is. It's the content of the message, folks. It is, it is not the credentials of the messenger. I don't care if you've got three PhDs. I don't care if you've sold 20 books. That's irrelevant to me. God's word is authoritative. You go against it. You start finagling with it. You've got a big problem. And that's the way we should think about that. And if what Paul is saying here, the message better line up with what he shared because there are not 10 different variations of the gospel. There just aren't. Paul says, I don't care who they are, let them be eternally condemned. That's the Greek word anathema. 
Never a good word. There's a couple of words you don't want to be involved with in Scripture. One of those is woe unto you. When the word woe is used, that's never good. Okay? Another one is anathema. Not good. Doomed to destruction is what that means. That's not good. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. It says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, he will punish those who do not know and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction, shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. That is anathema, folks. Doomed to destruction. It's used many times in Scripture. It's always referring to spiritual death. Paul didn't say, I hope somebody gets kicked in the shins because that's how serious it is to falsify the Word of God. Paul wants God's righteous judgment to be on anybody who twists and perverts the gospel. Some commentators struggle with this, by the way. They just do, right? I don't, man, I don't really know they say if that's what Paul is, is really meaning. It's just, it's just so severe. Well, they're right. It is severe. But it's also severe to change the gospel message and to say that Jesus wasn't good enough. It's Jesus, it's the cross plus fill in the blank. That's a little severe, But that's the bottom line. These people are adding to the cross in our text. And this completely takes away from the sufficiency of Christ's redemption. It wasn't sufficient. We needed something else, something more. I always tell people, it's like, it's like having that really nice glass of orange juice, right? You grab a 20-ounce bottle of Simply Orange. Oh, yeah, it's very good. It's really good. Nice and cold, it's refreshing, it's good for you. But if you add one drop of poison to it, it becomes deadly. That's it, just one. It becomes deadly. Paul's concern for the purity of the gospel is revealed by his statement that he would condemn to destruction anyone who taught a false gospel. Here's my question this morning as we close. Do you have that kind of zeal for the truth? The word, the word of truth. Not the word of Darren, but the word of truth. Do you have that kind of zeal for that? Or it's like, well, that's not being very nice. Pick your battles, folks. Some things you, 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 you want to be a good neighbor to, and you can agree to disagree on this or this, but you, you don't finagle stuff like this. You don't compromise stuff like this. Where do you stand as far as the truth of the Word of God? Can you and will you defend it? And we live in a time today, you're going to have to defend it. They're not going to like what you have to say. They'll call you names, but you, you, you need to defend it. Now is the time to take that stand on the word of God. We cannot sit back and we can no longer be innocent bystanders while God's word is trampled on 
underfoot. Because it's happening, and it's happening from within. Not, we, we expect it from without. I mean, let's be honest. But it's happening from within. The church needs to take a stand, folks. If it causes division, fine. The truth will divide. Jesus Christ says, I'm going to divide. Yeah, that's what the truth does. But you've got to know it, and you've got to stand up for it. And understand, you might lose friends over it, but I'd rather lose those friends and tell them the truth than to be that great guy and have somebody go to hell because they believe something that is a fallacy. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that we just had a short amount of time today to, to spend looking into your word. We thank you for it. We thank you that you've blessed us with it. We know that it is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. We thank you, Lord, that it's proven itself over and over again. We know, Lord, as it's changed each and every one of us. God, help us all as we go out into this world, not just to be someone on Sunday morning who says, oh yeah, boy, I believe in that, but Lord, to, to truly live it, certainly, but Lord, to stand for it. Not just to be somebody different today and say amen to a certain message, but not go out and defend it. Lord, give us all a desire to love your word, to love the truth, and to want to know it. Lord, help us to never want to be involved in, in, in holding to some church constitution or some church label or denomination or some theological construct, but simply to the word of God. Give us the wisdom we need, the clarity we need to know it, to live it, to be able to defend it. And we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.